So I went to IU North yesterday to see somebody there, and I didn't find her, and I went to the nurse's station, and the nurse was turned away from me at the computer trying to find the patient. Another nurse walked up to me and looked at me and said, so would you like to get cleaned up? I didn't know what to say, you know? So I said, um, then I thought she thought I was a doctor, probably looked really distinguished, I need to scrub up or something, you know? And I said, well, well and she said, oh, would you, like, would you like to get showered and cleaned up? And, and then the other nurse piped in, uh, he's here visiting someone. Oh, I thought you were somebody who'd been spending the night here all night. I'm thinking, What? Later, I stopped in the restroom, and I looked in the mirror. And I mean, a guy's only got what he's got to work with, right? That's all he's got. You know? The Pharisees in Jesus' day loved to clean people up, and they had a lot of rules. They even looked at Jesus, the Holy Son of God, and tried to clean him up. It seems like there's always people that want to clean us up. They have their own rules to life that we should live by to please them. That's how the Pharisees were with everybody. They were, they were these religious overseers of everybody else. They lived a life of rules. So in our text today, out of Luke chapter 6, we see this, uh, another occasion when they are hunting Jesus down, looking for some way to trip him up. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. The disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answers them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also took some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up, stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all. And then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. And they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So this confrontation is between the religious mafia of the day, for lack of better terms. But it serves to confront us as well. To challenge us and our whole view of God's commandments, what we do with God's commandments in a healthy way. And it challenges us to be thinking what's most important in our relationship with him. And we're going to get to the Sabbath kind of lifestyle in just a moment. We have some, some learning to do before we get there. Here, God definitely wants our lives cleaned up. He wants us to live upright, holy lives before him. But man tends to do it his own way, which always messes things up. So let's start here. We have these two scenes in our text. We have scene one that we can call a horrifying harvest. At least we can call it that uh, from, from the Pharisees, these religious leaders' point of view. Uh, Jesus and his men were hungry. They started picking heads of, of the grain, and they, they rubbed the, the wheat between their palms, and they separated the husks from the kernels. They popped the kernels in their mouth, had something to eat. And the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus for that because that was working 
by their definition of Sabbath work. Now, that particular that particular interpretation was completely warped view. Jesus' response was, have you never read? And then he tells about 1 Samuel 21, where David uh, was, was being pursued by jealous King Saul, who's out to kill David. And David is hungry, and he does eat some bread that's only devoted for use by the priests. Now, Jesus brings that up not for us to debate whether, Jesus, whether David was right or wrong in eating that bread. But here's the point. The, to the Pharisees, David was their guy. He was the hero of the Old Testament. And they wouldn't think about criticizing David for eating this consecrated bread. But when they watched Jesus do what he did, now that's a different story. Now the Pharisees knew the commandment. What are the Ten Commandments? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Sabbath day was to be a break in the routine of one's week. God wanted us to have a day that we give totally to him, a day for balance, a day for rest. But in Jesus' day, keeping the Sabbath was work for sure. The Talmud is the Jewish collection of all the traditions of the rabbis, not the law of God. It's the, it's the rabbinic traditions, the way they interpreted God's laws. 24 chapters are devoted to how a good Jew should keep the Sabbath, like they weren't to walk more than about 3,000 feet from their homes. Well, home is wherever your stuff is. So if they wanted to go further, they just took some stuff with them. And they'd go 3,000 feet, and then they'd put their stuff there. And so that was home, and they went 3,000 more feet. That's how they got around their own law. Uh, you couldn't take a bath on the Sabbath because you could some, splash some water and wipe it up with a towel, and that would be considered work. You couldn't look at your reflection in a mirror because that would be work because you might look and see something out of place and, and adjust your hair or your headpiece or something. That would be work. Even today in Jerusalem, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you don't push a button to use an elevator. That's considered work. The electric eyes and automatic doors in many of the buildings are disabled because to activate those to open the door was the equivalent to lighting a fire would be considered work. That's how far-fetched these religious leaders had gotten. It's sad to see how many people, and we're all prone to that. Any religious system is prone to living by rules, even us. Because we have our own set of invisible rules we think everybody else should abide by if they are, quote, a good Christian. And we have to be terribly warned about that. We need a series of messages about how that can be played out so easily in our lives when it's not, it's not biblical. Um, Jesus has something so much greater for us. Scene two we have in our text we can call a hateful healing because the Pharisees use God's laws all the time to accuse people of doing wrong, even accusing Jesus. Jesus got to the heart of the matter when he asked the million-dollar question in verse 9, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Now, these particular leaders saw God's laws as a way to, for God to catch people. 
And that's why it's so important that we have a, a biblical understanding of who God is and what he's like. Because if your understanding of God is warped, you will have a warped view of everything else in your Christian experience. You will not read the scriptures right. You will not live your life right. You will not have a right view of yourself. When you have a warped view of God, everything else is warped. Our youngest daughter, Chelsea, is one of these people that, you know, when you get nervous, people do different things. When Chelsea gets nervous, her mouth becomes this vomitory and just words, she just talks. That's what she does. And she has no filter at that point. And when she was in college, she was on her way to Cincinnati. At that time, Batesville was a real speed trap. And so she got picked up for speeding there, and her mouth started going off. And she said to the trooper as he's riding her up, so what's it like to get up in the morning and know you're going to ruin somebody's day? (laughs) Not a good thing to say to a trooper, right? But that's how the Pharisees viewed God. He was the celestial cop that loved to make life hard. That's totally, totally in in opposition to the God of the scriptures that we meet over and over again. Jesus makes it clear God's laws are not about that. Here's the truth. God's commandments are for our benefit, not our misery. Do you know that today? They are a blessing to us, not a burden. The Ten Commandments and others They're there to free us so that we can live as we've been designed. Here's what I've designed you to be. And based on how I've designed you, having a relationship, a sexual relationship with someone other than your wife or husband is not going to work. It will work against you. Based on how I've created you and to live in this society, to lie to one another is going to break down your culture and your society based on how I've designed you to be. And he's saying this first to this nation of Jewish people. He is calling the Jews to be a separate nation. So he begins the Ten Commandments. He's saying, based on how how I want you to be as a nation, different from all the other nations, these are basic, basic rules by which to live. That's why these commandments are still applicable today in our society and every nation of the world. God's commandments work for a healthier, better society, for better relationships. Now, is that all of God's law, the Ten Commandments? Well, certainly not. And is it, is it all just to obey the letter of the Ten Commandments? Well, no. There's still the spirit of the law that Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount, but that's another sermon for another time. At least obeying the letter of the law is helpful, even though it doesn't necessarily get to the heart of things. Because the Pharisees' problem was they were all about the letter of the law and their traditions and bypassed the heart altogether. That's what got them into trouble. A few years ago, we had a Christian brother here. He's with the Lord now, so I can talk about him. So be careful. You may be a sermon illustration after you die sometime. Um, they, but, but this guy, I mean, he, he loved the Lord. He was a kingdom man. Uh, but he, and he was near the library, and he kind of cruised through a stop sign. And he started arguing with the cop that he didn't need to stop. That that was a mere suggestion for him. But if other cars were coming, he should. He actually went to court. I had to go to court also. He thought on his behalf, which didn't quite work out that way. And and several of us all day, and he was his own lawyer fighting this traffic ticket because he, he went through the stop sign. Now imagine if we all left that way today. Ah, a light. Ah, it's not for me. You know, and you get to make your own judgment on where to stop. Imagine raising your family, your kids. You know, I want you to be happy, 
So there are no rules in this house. You can live any way you want. Good luck. Yeah, good luck in life, right? God's boundaries for us, his, his laws for holy living, are only for our benefit. They're for a benefit that we can live freely in him, not to lose out on something that he's keeping from us. Now, maybe you came out of a church that was heavy on the rules. If you came out of a church heavy on rules, man, you know what it's like to be burdened down by lots of heavy things. And some of you have come out. I met Morgan a couple of weeks ago at a wedding, and she came out of what she termed a fundamentalist church, which tends to be usually, not all people in that church, but a fundamentalist church is usually a very legalistic church, lots of rules to live by. And she said her sister was a fatality. She wants nothing to do with the Lord, the church, anything today. But she, thankfully, she moved with her husband. They started going to a different kind of church where she started learning about grace and the freedom of grace. And what God's laws were meant to be. And she is full of joy and life and so happy that she was able to work her way out of that kind of a religious system. People that mean well, but they, they use God's laws in an abusive way. Jesus said in Matthew 2, 20, uh, Mark 2.27 that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Laws, God's laws are made for us, not to be against us. When we break God's laws, what happens is that really we're the ones that are broken. That's how we end up having broken lives, that we ignore God's laws. If, if, if a guy jumps out of a plane without a parachute, when he does that, he doesn't defy gravity. He demonstrates it, right? He doesn't break the law of gravity. He is broken on it. The same thing happens when we abuse God's laws. Here's the second truth. God's commandments are under the lordship of Jesus. When Jesus claimed he was lorded with the Sabbath in verse 5, he was claiming he was the Lord. Every, all laws of God need to be interpreted through Jesus' lordship. When we are saved by grace, we suddenly see everything through the lens of Jesus' work on the cross for us, for his, through his redemptive work. Jesus didn't come to cancel, to annihilate the law of God. He came to fulfill it. And every law is seen through what he did. The rabbis claim there are 613 Old Testament laws to be obeyed. Just God's laws, not their traditions, but laws. It's interesting. There are 613 Hebrew letters that comprise the, the Ten Commandments. So 248 of them stated positively. 365 of them, these laws are stated negatively. And all of them are to be seen and viewed and understood through Jesus. So when Jesus is asked, and you know it well, the question and the answer, of all those laws, which is the greatest? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second of it is this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That word hang in the Greek is a word for a door hinge. So everything about the law and prophets hinges, turns on loving God and loving others. What good is a door if it can't open and close? And what good are Old Testament laws, any laws of God, without being expressed in a spirit of love toward God or love toward people? Because of Jesus' supremacy, his work on the cross, everything is changed according to his lordship. And you don't get to choose which one's you, you want to obey and which ones you don't want to obey. I, I don't have that privilege. God has stated. So whichever ones are the hardest for you to get, obey, work it out. 
And his spirit will work mightily in you if you genuinely want to obey what God has commanded you. Well, what's the point of all this? What, what are we going to learn and take away with us? Well, let, let me address this, the, the proper view. See, the, the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, in essence, your God's too lax. I mean, you're too sloppy in his commands. Uh, you, 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 need to, you, need to, you need to shape up. But what Jesus does when he comes to our life is he frees us. He helps us take this law, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, and bring it to life. And make it be something that works in us for our good, for our benefit, not against us. Because when we come to Jesus, not just about going to heaven, he is transforming us to look like Jesus. So you may be baptized into Christ, but if, you, if, you do, if you're not considering how God is shaping you and transforming you, then something's lacking. There's a misunderstanding. And you cannot, you cannot be in a transformation process without understanding Sabbath. You have to have Sabbath. So when this guy is in the synagogue and Jesus notices him, he has this shriveled hand for some reason. Jesus restores him on the Sabbath. And Jesus is in essence, you know, he said, which is better to do good or evil on the Sabbath? In essence, he's saying, I'm doing what I should be doing on the Sabbath. I'm doing something restorative. He's saying that's what Sabbath is about. I am restoring. And so he demonstrates it by restoring this hand. Listen. Life is crazy. I don't have to tell you that, do I? Your calendar is filled. Some of you are at the field every night of the week or, or at the court every week cheering your kids on. You're working full jobs. Some of you work two jobs. If your spouse is working, that's three people. I mean, that's three jobs you're working out together. Um, uh, you're signed up for lots of stuff. Now, I'm not the one to tell you you're overcommitted. You have to figure that out. Some of you are. Some of you are in a season of life where uh, and we go through seasons of life that are just demanded upon. Maybe you're starting a business. I mean, I mean those, are, those are hard days. Or maybe you're taking care of aging parents while also caring for your grandkids. That's a tough place to be when you're trying to balance all that. But I tell you, if you continue to live that way, what happens is we get shriveled. And sometimes one day can shrivel you. Sometimes a week can shrivel you. Sometimes a month. Sometimes a season. And to live a shriveled life is not what God has called us to. He's called us to wholeness. He wants to transform us. So we've got to learn this Sabbath principle. So let me do, give you two internal principles and then three outward principles principles and break them down, and then you figure out how to work them out, okay? First of all, accept Sabbath as an act of liberation. Sabbath is to be freeing. God said in Deuteronomy 5, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and I brought you out with a mighty hand. Therefore, observe the Sabbath day. So they, they know slaves don't have days off. The Jews for 400 years didn't have a day off. But once they got out, he says, now, you can enjoy Sabbath. You can have a balanced life, a restful life. It's, 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 it's a way we enjoy to be free. 
to enjoy the Sabbath principle. That's what it means. Second, view Sabbath as an act of trust. If, if, if we do not practice Sabbath, we start thinking we're God and he's not. Now, we don't literally think that, but that's how we behave. That's how we act. That I'm in charge. I'm the supplier of my life. If I don't do it, it's not going to get done. I've got to control my life. I've got to, I've got, and that is not healthy. That is, we need Sabbath to come back to balance all the time. And the Jews, of course, they honored the Sabbath, seventh. Sabbath means seventh. Saturday was a day set apart. They didn't do anything, you know. In our lives today, in 21st century America, I'm not sure how that can be lived out. I mean, my work day is Sunday, you know. It may be your Sabbath. It's not mine. But I have to find ways, other ways in my week that I practice the Sabbath principle. It's an act of trust that, God, you're in charge of my life. You're the Lord of my life. I am not. And it brings balance to my life. Now, here are the external, bless, uh, uh, external disciplines. Three of them. You have the internal ones then you're more likely and easily to get to these principles. If you bypass the first two of liberation and trust, you'll make the others, I think, you'll, you'll, you'll practice them in a legalistic way, as a rules-based way. Three of them. First of all, balance your Sabbath time. What do I mean by that? Break down your Sabbath into these three things. First of all, something avocational. In other words, something not related to your job. Something completely different than the work that you do or your normal routine. So, you know, uh, you know, for for for, for some people, uh, it might be. I mean, my I grew up. My dad never cut the grass on Sunday. You don't do that on Sunday. You know, for me, yard work can be revitalizing on Sunday in the afternoon or something. Um, so, yeah, whatever frees you and brings you some balance, something you don't normally do. So then, to bring balance, something, um, something co- contemplative, we'll say. Something contemplative. In other words, this is when you give yourself time to think about all the ways God is communicating to you. Through prayer, through a Bible study you go to, through what you're discovering in your own Bible reading, through Christian music you're listening to, through conversations you're having with friends, when you assimilate all that, what is God doing in your heart and life? How is he speaking to you? I believe he does that. He works through all these avenues to bring us to a a steady course of something he is changing us into. That's the contemplative part. The third part of balance is something inactive. In the Old Testament, not only were people to be inactive on the Sabbath, but so was the land inactive. Every seventh year, the land was not to be planted or plowed or harvested. And anything could come up that wanted to come up. It just came up. And we need time margins in our lives where anything that can come up can come up. I remember Justin, when he was in high school, he went out on Friday night. He said, I want to go out on Saturday night. And I said, no, just stay home tonight. And he said, why? What are we going to do? And I said, we're not going to do anything. Because you know as well as I do in family time, even in marriage. Like if you have to talk about something, if she starts off by saying, hey, I need to talk about something, it's probably not good. But if stuff comes up naturally just by being together, That's when the important stuff comes up, right? When there's nothing planned to talk about. 
And you start just talking back and forth about life. And the important things seem to find them rise to the surface. That's why in some contemplative time is a planned thought time. You see, the inactive time is when you're not planning to think about anything. You're just being with someone. You're being alone and whatever God wants to bring to mind. So let me, let me say, are you addicted to TV? You know, does it, does, it, does it turn on as soon as you walk in the house because you have to have some noise on? Stop it. You know, take this week and decide I'm not going to turn it on every time I walk in the house. I'm not saying don't ever watch it. I'm just saying, is that you? Or are you the kind of person, as soon as you, as soon as you turn the car on, the radio goes on? Because you have to have something playing, some noise. If that is happening in you, you cannot enjoy Sabbath. You can't. There has to be time when you are just alone with yourself and let God bring up things in your life he wants to bring up. So be in silence, be in quiet, and see what happens. All right, number two, be accountable for Sabbath time. Talk about it with your spouse, with close friends, in your life group. Talk about what all this means. How's it, how's it played out in your life? Or is it played out at all? Or just say, you know, I'm a mess. I don't practice Sabbath at all. Then talk about it. What's going to be your game plan? How are you going to start putting these, these things to practice in your life? And third, inject Sabbath time into your work. If you can at all, I think it's really healthy for us to throughout the course of the workday, just take a breathing moment. Take 10 minutes if you can. I know some of you don't have jobs like that where you're just demanded on all the time and you don't have any free moment. But if you can, a break, a lunchtime. One of my Sabbaths is about 10-minute word game you know, where I just play a word game about 10 minutes after writing or, or seeing people a lot just to escape for about 10 minutes and do the, the world of words and, that free, and then I'm ready to go again or a crossword puzzle for like 10 minutes and then going back. Read a chapter in a book you've been reading, a novel you've been reading just to take a break. Have a cup of tea. Don't, don't be afraid to think in these. What we do see is we, man, I got too much to do. I can't afford to sit down. That's at that moment the most important thing you do, can do is to sit down because that's when we start being in the danger zones where we do things, we act ways that are unhealthy and then we, we, we just work, we work against ourselves. Friends, if you want to be like Jesus, you got to honor the Sabbath. I don't mean going to church, although you should be there too on the Lord's day and remembering him, but it's bigger than that. You see, do you understand it? It's a Sabbath principle. It's a life principle by which we live a balanced life, a healthy life. We all produce it. You can't compare yourself with anybody else. Some of you get more done in a a day than I can get done in a week. I don't get it, and I'm jealous with what you have. I'm a slow producer. But I have to know that about myself. If I'm not contemplative about that, then there's one person I'm accountable to ultimately, and that is God himself. I have to give an account to him for my life and what I do with my life. When God created, at the end of his creation, he said, it is very good. And then he later on, thousands of years later, he completed his work on the cross when he died for our sins. And he said there, it is finished. That work he has done in us. He has given creation for us. He has given his son in us that we may be all that he wants us to be. All for his glory. And you can't get there. You'll never enjoy his work for you and his work in you without true Sabbath. So let's learn it well. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you 
Have you called us to this life that is real and full and complete and whole? Please forgive us, Father. We have signed our kids up to everything. We have busied ourselves so we don't have time to sit around a dinner table and have supper together. We have so often, Father, rushed from thing to thing without even evaluating what we've just done. Please forgive us. And instill in us anew what this whole Sabbath life looks like. Teach us, even today, to have the courage, the guts to talk to somebody out loud in our families, our homes, our, with friends, somebody, that we may be who you want us to be, that Christ can be formed in us for his glory and because he reigns over all and is the Savior of the world. Thank you for Jesus who models it well for us. And then we pray. Amen.